Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, subscribe, or whatever button you have to press to get the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date every day. On today's episode, we are going to be continuing our Seattle draft expansion talk, which is certainly quite a bit a ways away. We haven't even had our regular 2020 NHL entry draft for this year's prospect pool, but hey, it's fun to talk about all this stuff in the future, because at this point, we really don't have a whole lot of hockey to go on until next week. In case you live under a rock and have not heard, the Seattle Kraken were unveiled as the NHL's next team, uh, as of, I think, yesterday. I don't even know what day it is anymore. Yeah, don't mind me. The Seattle Kraken, though, are definitely a real thing. They're happening. Their logo and jersey were both revealed. I critiqued the jersey on yesterday's episode, which I mostly just said it was clean, simple, and pretty cool. Not as good as the Vegas jersey, in my opinion, but not too bad either. Uh, For this episode, I thought we would continue where we left off from yesterday, uh, kind of giving a broad overview of issues that might arise for the teams that uh, I guess Seattle is going to be drafting from once the expansion rolls around, because... Under normal circumstances, the Seattle expansion draft would have been complicated for most teams anyways, but now that COVID has happened and there's likely to be a flat cap over the next few seasons, that is seriously going to change how teams have to approach the upcoming expansion draft. I think a lot of teams are going to be in a serious cap crunch and they're going to have to figure out exactly how to hang on, especially during these times. On the last episode, we finished off with the Edmonton Oilers, which probably meant that James Neal would have to be the guy that comes off the books unless... uh, you know, they make a mistake and somebody else gets taken. There's not all of that many great players from the Oilers to to really worry about losing necessarily, aside from, like, their top, top guys. But, you know, Edmonton will probably want to protect the younger players, and Neal's on the books for quite a bit. So, yeah, I think getting that contract off would be very helpful to their cause. As far as the next team on the list, we have the Florida Panthers. And I don't even know what the Panthers are going to do, to be honest, because... They were very unpredictable during the Vegas saga, and they're now renowned for giving away Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau and paying Vegas to take them. I've heard rumors that that was a decision that came from ownership rather than Dale Talon himself, and that that was sort of an order to cut salary, but even then, it's pretty embarrassing to give away some of your top players for essentially nothing and actually pay to do it. So, looking at their current roster, they don't have all that many players that I think that they would be super upset uh, leaving on the exposed list. They might have a, a shot at resigning Eric Howla and maybe then making him their exposure candidate. They also have Mike Hoffman's deal expiring next season. Dodonov's uh, deal is also expiring, so they have a lot of contracts that are coming off the books, uh, but they might end up trying to do something with Jonathan Huberdeau. Huberdeau was signed until 2023, and even though I think that that would be a mistake to dump him, it wouldn't shock me to see them move another productive player uh, and actually pay Vegas, or not Vegas, Seattle, to take them. <laughs> Almost said Vegas because I keep thinking about that time that they did that, which, you know, it's not like the Panthers are the world's uh, worst team necessarily, but the decisions that they've made have made them significantly worse. On the defender side of things, I don't think that they have any particularly great blue liners that they would uh, be really hard up to send off to Seattle. I think that they would probably want to move one of their forwards first. 
If they did not protect somebody like Mackenzie Weger, maybe that's an issue. Weger and a few other guys have been quietly pretty good. Um, but there's also Mike Matheson, and maybe Matheson's deal is something that they want to dump because he signed until 2026. Whatever I say about the Florida Panthers, though, is probably going to be wrong because whatever they do, it's probably going to be really funny, and I don't even know what they do at this point because I can't predict Dale Talon and the Panthers' ownership team. After that, we're coming up to the LA Kings, a team that has an incredibly deep prospect pool and also like a very limited selection of actual NHLers to choose from. LA's roster is on the older side, to say the least, and they are kind of trying to restart their whole rebuild process, which is going to be hard because, again, they don't have a whole lot uh, to go off of right now, and a lot of the players under contract are like middle sixers or guys who are in minor league roles playing up with a big club, even if they're actually doing pretty well. LA might try to look at exposing somebody like Jonathan Quick because he signed until 2023 with a $5.8 million cap hit. He's still a fairly productive goalie at his age, but I could see them thinking, you know, at this point, how much longer do they want to keep him under contract? They've already got Anze Kopitar committed to a deal through 2024, and he's had a $10 million cap hit. What might be tough is that both of these guys are fan favorites and very critical to what the Kings have long since built. It's just, I think at this stage of their careers, they're both pretty old. Uh, on the other side, I could also see them trying to move one of uh, Dustin Brown or Jeff Carter. Both of those guys are also signed through 2022, and both are around similar cap hits of, you know, 5.5 to 5.8 million or so. They're very much on the wrong side of 30, and getting those uh, dollars off the book, I think it would hurt LA's short term in the sense that both of those the, both of those players are still in some capacities productive and useful NHLers, although Carter has definitely missed a lot of time recently. I just think that LA really needs to dump and shed as much term and salary as quickly as possible because they have, well, I don't know, they might look at trying to bring in some younger talent or something, but I look at that team and I think they have a lot of committed old money with varying levels of quality, and if you look at their long-term picture, they're going to have to re-sign quite a few free agents in the next couple of seasons, and some of those guys are going to need extra dollars that these uh, older players are currently occupying. And, like, their older players are in their mid-30s, not even early 30s. We're talking, like, 35, 36. Even Quick is already 34, so it's not a great situation if you're the Kings and need to dump salary. Their blue line is pretty fine. I think that they don't have to worry about that too much, um, aside from the lack of general quality. But if you look at their forward ranks, yeah, they're in some trouble. They, they really need to figure out exactly who they can afford to shed. In my opinion, I think that I would want to keep Anze Kopitar around longer just because he's 32 He's still amazingly productive. Uh, you know, marketing-wise, he's one of your key franchise faces. You know, he has signed for a couple more seasons, and his cap hit is, you know, almost twice what Brown and Carter make together. He's also worth way more than those two players combined, and I feel like Kopitar is the kind of guy that is going to age relatively gracefully and is, you know, three years younger than the both of those players. So yeah, I think Kopitar is probably the last person that they really want to move on this deal I think that they would probably look at one of Quick, Brown, or Carter first. Welcome back. I hope you guys are ready to keep on exploring the uh, great depths of the Seattle expansion draft, because to be honest, we have quite a few teams to go through, and up next we have the Minnesota Wild, who are in a very interesting position, a little bit more extreme in some ways than the LA Kings. Minnesota is, like, super old, and they also have more non-movement clauses and a lot more players. The Wild, to me, are an extremely odd team for a variety of reasons, and I think one of the biggest things with them is that they're both really old, they're really committed to a lot of huge contracts, 
and they just don't really have many signs of of being able to work out some of these issues. So, looking at their roster, uh, they have to protect Parise and Zuccarello, Suter and Spurgeon. Now, Suter and Spurgeon are both major issues because Suter's 35 and signed until 2025. Spurgeon is uh, 30 at this point and signed until 2027. Now, I really like Spurgeon. I think that he's a very good player, and, you know, his contract is is pretty expensive. It's almost $7.5 million or so, which is fair value if he was a, a younger blue liner, but I feel like at his age, it's it's really hard to stomach this deal, especially with the NMNC in, in, in tow, so I don't really know how they're going to deal with that. Um, and then Parise and uh, Zuccarello, you know, they're both six six or seven and a half million each and uh, Zook is, is signed until 2024 Parise signed until 2025 I, I think Minnesota has to pay somebody in, in Seattle in this case to take one of these deals and get somebody to move their waive their no movement clause I don't really know how that's going to work because I feel like these deals are almost unmovable and you just sort of have to swallow it and hope that one of them retires at some point, especially a guy like Suter or Parise. But on the other hand, some of these guys are key contributors for this team, and if you lose one of them, it's going to be hard to fill that gap, especially in-house. So I don't really know what they're going to do. They could try and dump somebody like Victor Rosk or I I guess Eric Stahl at some point, although I I feel like that would be a mistake to do either of those guys just because I feel like considering their price and what their terms are, I feel like that's a livable deal. Rosk, I think, is somebody that you could potentially have Seattle claim without too much fuss because he is on the younger side, he's a center, and he's signed on a relatively affordable contract with only a few years of term. So it's not like Seattle's married to the deal. But I don't think that that really helps Minnesota all that much beyond providing a little bit of cap relief, but not a whole lot. It also doesn't really help their center depth, which is okay, but not amazing. Uh, it's just a weird team when you look at their roster situation, and and especially the fact that they have basically lots of guys in their early to mid-30s. Uh, on all of these guys are signed for multiple seasons past this year, so not a great situation. Um, the Montreal Canadiens are in a different position. They're actually, relatively speaking, on the younger side, but their players are not exactly high-end guys. There's a lot of good depth players um, or or players who are very underrated and under, underappreciated. You know, like a Thomas Tatar, I think, is one of those guys. Brendan Gallagher is also very good, one of the best wingers in the league. Uh, Jonathan Drouin, he's an interesting case. You know, would you... You don't want to lose Drouin for nothing, and maybe you want to try and trade him, but he's not a guy who is as good as you would think, and so maybe you work out a deal before the expansion draft where Seattle pays for assets to take his deal on, I just don't know how productive he is. I'd have to do a deeper dive onto his profile. I think ideally, you know, you move a guy like uh, Paul Byron first. Um, Byron, maybe Philip Deneau. These guys have a couple of years on their contract left. Uh, Some a little bit uh, shorter than others, but they're a little bit older. Byron is definitely older, and he tends to miss a lot of time. So I think that that is a deal that you would want uh, off your books real quickly. Because, let's face it, no one is going to take on Carey Price's deal no matter how much you pay. I mean, you'd have to basically offer a first-round pick every year to convince somebody that that deal is worth moving. And you'd you'd also have to convince Carey to waive his no-movement clause. There's just not really a realistic scenario where Carey Price is is sent off to Seattle. So I feel like it's going to be like a Paul Byron or something. Which, you know, a guy like Paul Byron is actually a decent player. Uh, I just don't know 
how he fits into their overall scheme. And at this stage of his career, can he even stay healthy? He's 31 and he's signed until like 2023, so hoping the best on that case. Nashville probably will want to dump one of their, uh, either their more expensive forwards who isn't all that productive, or one of their defensemen. But I think that if they can try and get Kyle Turris off the books somehow, uh, that would be probably their ideal situation. The problem for them is that Turris is actually... He's an okay player, but I feel like they would probably want to use the cap space that he currently occupies in in more like a Mikhail Gronlund role. Turris has often been frozen out of the lineup by some of the coaching staffs, and I don't think that he is as good as his price tag of $6 million per year uh, is really demanding, especially when he signed until 2024. He's being paid like a decent, you know, second-line center kind of guy, and he's just not that player at all. By the same token, I don't really know what center depth they have that could really replace his impact in the lineup, um, but if he's going to be playing like third-line minutes on at least what they hope is a, a Stanley Cup contender of a sort, I'm just not really sure that that is where you want to commit all that cash to. They might also, you know, try and cut ties with Craig Smith or something, which he's going to be expiring next season anyways. Maybe Benino counts as one of those guys that they want off the books because he's got a year left and he's going to be around $4 million. The tough thing for the Preds is that a lot of these guys that they would cut are actually productive players for the way that they, they want to really attack the ice and approach the game, which traditionally they build a lot out of their back end, but they've been trying to get more out of their forwards over the past couple of seasons. And I feel like no matter what they do, it's going to be a bit of a painful loss. Even though a guy like Turris is very expensive, he's still a capable NHL roster player, and he still can contribute at a pretty decent level, so long as you're not expecting, like, first-line talent. His contract, though, and the relative disappointment uh, compared to the expectations of what Nashville thought he was going to bring probably means that a guy like him would be on the chopping block first. I don't think that he fits in Nashville's long-term picture, and he could be a decent top six to middle six player for the Seattle Kraken. If nothing else, he occupies a pretty decent chunk of cap space for the next few years, and I'm sure the Kraken will try to, you know, fill up space as efficiently as possible, but also have some deals where they can, you know, maybe fleece a couple of picks off of a team to dump that contract. We can continue talking about the expansion draft stuff, but I think I want to table that for tomorrow just because we have a couple of more episodes coming this weekend, and then we're going to start heading into our, our preseason, or I guess pre-postseason, is that what you would call it, coverage of the Flames and Jets series? But I kind of just wanted to go a little bit off topic and have a bit more fun with the end of this episode talking about the recent Xbox reveal, because I'm sure a lot of you are going to be at least in some capacity, interested about some of the stuff that was revealed and maybe you're thinking about whether or not you want to buy the PS5 or the Xbox Series X or whatever they're calling it now. I thought that the Xbox reveal for me was pretty good. I liked it a lot. I thought that there were some really cool games shown and I think the biggest surprise for me was um, I'm a big fan of the, the Stalker PC series and if you've never played it, the best way I can describe it is if you took Fallout, made it Ukrainian slash Russian, and focused more on atmosphere and exploration rather than story, that's what you would get. It's like a survival horror action RPG, but that game was in development hell for many years, and then it came out in, I think, like 2007 or 2008. And there was definitely supposed to be a sequel that came out, but the developers went under due to, like, bankruptcy or something, and Stalker 2, which was the true heir to the first game, despite a couple of spin-off titles, that one was basically, in effect, canceled. And all of a sudden, a couple of years ago, a domain for the, I guess, Stalker 2 popped up on, on the internet, and GSC Game World, the developers, 
were apparently able to secure funding from somewhere. So, you know, we all were expecting at some point to hear about Stalker 2, but what I was not anticipating was that it's supposedly a console launch exclusive to the new Xbox Series X, with our first trailer coming on the uh, initial reveal. That one caught me off guard, and I was super hyped as a as a Stalker fanboy. I thought that that was a huge deal, and something that really says a lot about where the state of the game is, and the fact that they were able to secure that, especially on the Xbox Series X, is a very promising sign. I also thought that the game, The Gunk, looked pretty cool, and if you didn't see that one, it's like, I don't know, some sort of platformer where you have a, a gravity manipulation and vacuum arm that allows you to suck up this weird alien substance that seems to be growing everywhere. Looked pretty cool, and I thought that the concept was neat. I always like platformers with some unique mechanics, so maybe there's like puzzle solving that you do with the gauntlet or whatever that the main character uses. Everwild, which I'm not really sure what it's about, also looked really cool. Had a very distinctive art style, and it looked very uh, whimsical fantasy-ish, but I wasn't really sure what it's about. It might be like some sort of open-world platforming exploration game. I'm not 100% sure. But either way, I'm totally sold on the concept. It just looks really cool, and I'm totally down to play it. There was the expected Forza Motorsports reveal, which I think at this point I'm mostly interested in Forza Horizon more than anything. I know that Forza, the rest of the series, tends to be a more simish approach to racing, and that's cool, but like something about Horizon just always clicked with me more. Now, I definitely played the earlier Forza Sims on the original Xbox, and I like them for different reasons, but... I think for me, I'm definitely more interested in seeing another Horizons game in the near future, which hopefully comes sometime in 2021. You might be wondering about the Halo reveal, and I, I felt like the Halo reveal was just okay. I mean, it was one of those things where they more or less delivered exactly what they said they were going to, a, a short gameplay demo slice. I think my issue with the demo that they presented was that it didn't seem super lively, and it looked alright, it just didn't seem all that energetic or exciting. One thing that Halo always committed it to was a grand sense of sweeping scale, but what they did was they kind of simulated that more than they actually gave it to you during their linear mission progressions. I felt like this approach to a more open, expansive stuff, you know, it was fine. It just seemed very dead in terms of the game environment, and the combat skirmishes were interesting but not, like, super enthralling, and I feel like as a demo slice, it just didn't make me all that hyped beyond... Yes, it's more Halo. There was also a rumor yesterday that multiplayer is not shipping with the game, which is probably not what you want to hear about a game series that is primarily known for being one of the biggest multiplayer series out there. That aside, Halo Infinite looks fine. I'm sure it'll be a decent game, and I'm sure people will love it. I'm just not, like, super hyped about it. I, I definitely feel like Destiny 2 is, is going to have a much bigger season, at least uh, when the season of Arrivals and Beyond Light arrive on Xbox sometime this fall. I am kind of excited for Psychonauts 2, which had a trailer with Jack Black. I always thought that Jack Black is a funny dude, and he always fits Double Fine's games. I was hoping for some Brutal Legend, but I will take a, uh, a Psychonauts 2 teaser. The one teaser that will definitely stand out, though, for just about anyone who can remember this series is a teaser about Fable, which closed out the conference. Fable is a really funny, really inventive action RPG where you always got to choose... Uh, pretty significant choices throughout the game's narrative plot that had major impacts on the game world. It's a somewhat infamous series for, you know, Microsoft and their Xbox and PC lines, and really a, a classic game series that I think a lot of people kind of slept on it at first, but it sort of gained cult status and then eventually gained real uh, mainstream acceptance and popularity. Having Fable come back is going to be great. I couldn't be more pleased with the reveal, and I hope that we get to see some gameplay in the next few months because... 
that would sell me on picking up an Xbox Series X. If you guys watched the Xbox uh, Game Showcase, be sure to let me know what you thought in the comments at HLLivingLoco or at our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Before you log off, be sure to check out our Locked On National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampado. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great night and go Jets go.